0: hey modern commerce welcome back you're here again with casey and john my partner in crime we've got a fun interview for you today i'm going to go ahead and pass it on over to john so he can get this introduction underway john take it away from me man
1: thank you i am excited for our guest today uh guest was referred to me by a person I, i really really respect in the industry uh spent a couple minutes getting to know this man the other day and i'm like hey, he's the real deal we got to have him on the podcast uh so mr kelsey larrick uh the f- co-founder and ceo of 300, 365 not 365 of 365 holdings uh holding company that holds as of today when we're shooting this eight e-commerce brands correct that's correct
2: and uh the math adds up whether you say 365 or 365 i'm, yeah, I'm it's good either way thing.
1: but <laughs> thank you glad to be here thanks for having me it sounds better when it's 365, though. Like, it just rolls off the tongue.
2: If I had a dollar for everybody that called it 360 Holdings, I wouldn't even need to be on this podcast right now.
1: Which doesn't make any sense to me. Like, everybody, I don't know. The
2: amount of thought but that, I guess- that, that name brand five years ago was, like, nothing. Like, it was like, hey, yeah. we need a name. For-. I'm like, we don't need a name. It's not that serious. It's not going to be anything, you know, real known one day. It's just, like, uh, for tax return purposes. Yeah
1: here we are. Right. Yeah. And now it's known. And I do get it. I guess one full spin, one cycle. I don't know. I get, it could be 360. We make money
2: 365 days a year doing commerce on the internet.
1: Yes. You can sell every single day. I want Whole Foods
2: to sue me for their house brand, you know, whatever.
1: (laughs) Nice. So yeah, Kelsey, give us a little bit about your background, a little bit about you um, and and what you're up to and specifically the kinds of e-commerce brands that uh, 365 Holdings looks for and targets.
2: So six years ago, my business partner uh, and I bought our first e-commerce business. Prior to that, we did business uh, offline with like small service businesses. And we'd always been kind of entrepreneurs, but the companies were like more of a side hustle. We had two or three, four of them that we bought for 10000 or 20000 like small amount of money. There was no rich uncle involved. We were just kind of trying to make our way in the world and support our families. And every year we'd make more personal income. We'd maybe grow those little businesses a little bit. But we finally sold the first one. Uh, for like $100,000. And that was a down payment for 10% on a million dollar business with an SBA loan. And that kind of got us into e commerce. So prior mm-hmm. to e commerce, we were just hustling with service businesses. And e commerce was an unlock for us to scale. So for the last six years, uh, we've bought more than eight. We've sold a couple along the way. We also had a few that just didn't work out, they were kind of small. Uh, We've accumulated eight brands in the portfolio. Uh, Team today is over 100 uh, around the globe. We're mostly based in Akron, though, mostly in-house, on-site, full-time. We do our own pick-back-and-ship. We do some of our own production and manufacturing in-house, and we're heavily vertically integrated. So we run supply chain, ops, fulfillment, customer service, marketing, really everything we can uh, here out of the office in Northeast Ohio. And we're looking for really high-quality brands that have a long, durable history of profitable operations. And we want to continue that growth uh, by holding those for a long period of time in our portfolio.
1: Uh, interesting that you went from like doing work in the service industry to like so you were you owned local businesses, correct?
2: Yeah. So we had a business that took satellite dishes off of people's houses. We had a business that um, processed checks once they bounced. Uh, we had a business that sold timekeeping software to like local cities and counties, but we didn't own the software. We were like a reseller. Uh-huh. Um, so we had like a lot of these like kind of small B2B or B2C service businesses.
1: So wh- why jump to e commerce from there? Like what was going on in the world, in your world then that made you think like, hey, we should start selling <laughs> physical products online?
2: So I think most people that are in a position like mine have a background of like, oh, I was at an ad agency and I just saw the future. Or I was at an investment bank and we were selling these companies and they were really profitable. Uh, We had no such foresight. Um, I I know the Amazon truck came a lot, so it seemed like that e-commerce thing was going to be big one day. Uh, (laughs) Candidly, we were just looking for a good business. It could have been um, in any industry at the time. Uh, We wanted to have a good purchase that had good economics that we thought we could operate. And it was the first one that came along that met all of our criteria. Um, I wish I had a better answer about the big vision that we had, uh, but candidly, it was very opportunistic. We just thought it was a good business.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. We didn't talk about any of this online or offline, sorry, which I usually do. Uh, I don't know if you're willing to share with us like that. Word. So it sounds like it's like, hey, something got put in front of you and it happened to be an e-commerce business. Um, and so that's that's kind of what you guys went with. Um, are you, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing what brand that was or what, what it was about it that made it feel like right. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Um, so that business, uh-huh, actually it's less e-commerce and probably more uh, direct response marketing. I think you and I talked about this uh, offline. We still yeah. own it today. Um, what it did though is it gave us a launching pad to build a team and to learn skill sets in and around e-commerce about 90 days after we bought that business uh, we drained the checking account and maxed the line of credit and and bought another one Uh, and that was our sunglasses brand which we sold a couple years ago Um, but through operating uh, those couple of early e-commerce businesses we just realized that uh, we could build a team they were growable businesses more growable than anything we had done before and they were skill sets that like we could learn as business people like justin and i are just entrepreneurs as background i don't think i'm god's gift to marketing or finance i don't think justin is god's gift to operation uh or, or human resources but like we're just entrepreneurs and we realized e-commerce was a platform where we could take just natural talents that we have and we could be successful we didn't have to code we didn't have to be graphic designers uh, there, we had the skill sets we needed And we knew there was industry tailwinds for online shopping. And so we built a platform in this space.
1: Yeah, that's pretty huge. Like I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs or people who want to start something, they get held up by like just blockers. Like, hey, you know, oh yeah, we got to build this app. And and once we build this app though, like look out, right? Or we need to go get funding. But like once we get funding, look out, right? And uh, you just saw this industry uh, where, you know, You could start with no code, no like background. No, you could just start doing it right. Like, you can put something online and sell it, and then do it again and again and again. Um, without really, and and you can fund your own growth, right? Like now, I'm sure you guys have custom coded stuff. You guys probably have custom apps on your store, all kinds of things like that. Uh, but it starts out with just being able to like. I I think momentum is pretty big. I think momentum is one of the biggest things that stops. Um, either just entrepreneurial people or people. Who want to either get in get get into e commerce or even people who are looking to do something like a holding company or invest in businesses even own minority stakes in businesses like they just let momentum sort of slow them down you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what you're looking for now, 2023. So we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about like uh, kind of market market conditions uh, because I think the acquisition market was really hot for e commerce. Over the last, yeah, what, what'd you say? Two years, three years, something like that.
2: Yeah, two or three for sure.
1: Yeah. So, so tell me, like, and that's that's cooled down a lot. A lot of deals have fallen through. Valuations have gone down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, give me the state of the union on like market conditions. Are holding companies like yours basically just holding off on buying at this point in time, or or what? There's kind
2: of, uh, in my opinion, two parts to the the quote unquote e-commerce market. The interesting thing is um, guys like the three of us talk about e-commerce like it's an industry, um, but it it actually kind of isn't. It, it's a sales channel. Um, there is no right. um, SIC code for e-commerce. So all businesses are categorized by the government uh, using a code called an SIC. There is no e-commerce category for SIC. Uh, if you sell apparel online, your SIC code is you're an apparel business. If you sell food products online, you're falling to a food SIC code. So We all talk about this like, um, it's an industry and it is right. We all make a living. Um, we have Facebook ad agencies and we have people that do Shopify development, but like in reality, when it comes to the, the environment we operate in, we are using online sales and distribution to unlock the ability to meet a consumer and have supply and demand match. And we, we make businesses on the internet that are really just consumer products businesses. We're selling consumer discretionary goods in a direct to consumer sales channel. Uh, what we saw happen, though, is because that was a scalable model uh, 5, six, eight, 10, 12 years ago with kind of the, the D2C revolution, the Warby Parkers of the world, the Allbirds of the world, etc., um, the investors that invest in high growth, so the venture capital world, started looking at e-commerce as potentially uh, a huge growth market. And what we've seen play out is that there's a huge run-up in demand for those businesses, a huge run-up in valuations for those businesses. And you had a fork in the road of like, Are you playing a venture scale game with venture scale economics or are you playing a small business game with small business economics? Because those two business plans are very, very, very different. If you have a small business outlook, the way you fund your business, the expectations you have for growth, profitability, uh, the source of the capital that you can tap into, your ultimate exit plan is very, very different than if you're trying to achieve a venture capital scale outcome. And we're starting to see, now that the market's corrected, is that some of those businesses aren't as big as they plan to be, not nearly as profitable, if profitable at all, and the valuations have corrected massively in the public markets. That's come downstream and is now affecting late-stage large e-commerce businesses, all the way down to startups that try to raise uh, for their e-commerce business. Uh, we've always, frankly, 365, Kelsey and Justin as entrepreneurs, have never been really on the venture capital side of that equation. We've been on like the small business side of that equation. We've looked for businesses that have durable, profitable growth, have sustainable demand from the end customer, can be financed on reasonable terms using debt and equity. And we've never raised any outside capital. We financed everything off our own balance sheet. We've used SBA loans, we've used some alternative financing, but we've been buying um, kind of traditional small businesses that just happen to do business on the internet And sure, they grow maybe faster than your average car wash or uh, hair salon or or plumbing company. If you think about kind of Main Street businesses, uh, I think our our revenue grows faster than your neighborhood coffee shop, probably. But our expectations are not these uh, off the chart growth ramps that you'd sell to a venture capitalist. And so we financed our business that way. And I think depending on which corner of the internet you come from, you either think the venture capital world is kind of really normal and that's your echo chamber and everything you see and read and understand is through the lens of super high growth, burning money and build to sell. If you come from another part of entrepreneurship or another part of the internet, that's a foreign world to you. And you think in terms of like, we grow at 10% a year, we use a little bit of debt, a little bit of leverage. um, We have conservative expectations. We expect cash flow out of the business. We expect profitability every quarter. Uh, And e-commerce is this weird place where those two worlds meld really fast. Like in SaaS and software, like they're firmly in the venture capital world. Like it's only very recent that like SaaS has been a cash flow asset. But e-commerce really started more so of like these sleepy, boring consumer products businesses that just happen to sell online. And that's more so what we buy. So we've been buying brands that are 5, 10, 15 years old. They've got big email lists. They've got an SEO presence, an affiliate program. Uh, we have a like really diverse traffic for most of the businesses, some Facebook, some Google. Um, and frankly, like we just wouldn't buy something for our portfolio. That's kind of like, Hey, we started four years ago. It's been th- 300% year over year. It's all Facebook ads. And now we're trying to get into target or whatever. I'd say like, Hey, that sounds awesome. Um, congratulations. That's not a business that we can underwrite for our portfolio.
1: Yeah. We're not, we're not the buyer for you. <clears throat> that's pretty interesting. So uh, we've talked about this before in the venture capital world so so essentially you're what you're saying is like hey you know like uh, you've created a holding company here and in the way that this holding company works and pays its employees and pays you and everything is that all of the businesses inside it just make a profit right and you add up all add up all those profits and that's the profits of the holding company uh, it's actually a really practical way to go cuz I, I you're right like there is a whole world of people who where the venture capital thing is like very normal to them um i'm not from that world i don't know if i fully get it right like it just seems like let's place 10 bets and make sure and and hope hopefully one pays off really big and the other 10 can kind of be losers um that's what it seems like to me and maybe maybe i'm wrong about that but what you're kind of talking about is like going about building a holding company in an entirely different way right where you just say like hey anybody really could do this right like anyone off of right like anyone who's got some some capital you know or some and or some like credit to get funding or whatever uh could buy and and it sounds like it wouldn't even really have to be an e-commerce business right
2: for sure there are far more uh people doing the business model that I believe in uh, outside of e-commerce than there are inside of e-commerce as in an industry. And the notion of being an entrepreneur by acquiring companies, building a portfolio of them, realizing some diversification or synergies uh, and building a multi-business career as an entrepreneur is not a new concept Uh entrepreneurs have been doing that for a long time. Uh, we just happened to do it in e-commerce because the timing was right. The first one we bought that scaled uh, was in e-commerce and we're having a lot of fun and there's a big market for it that's growing. Uh, so I would agree with everything you said. Uh, I also think that um, I don't have to pass judgment against like the venture capital side of the world. Like there are different business models for different people. I don't begrudge somebody that has really, really big aspirations to build a, a big fast growing business. I do think that um, it probably got a little overhyped in e-commerce about how feasible or realistic or even advisable raising significant equity is. Um, certainly like the aggregator term is a newer term um, in the e-commerce world that um, like it it kind of was predicated on venture capital scale by rolling up small businesses. I don't think that's our business model. Uh, I view our business as kind of like one big platform and it has many lines of business, many profit centers, each of which is a brand that it owns and operates. Um, I wish all the venture capital backed businesses the very best, but sometimes when they don't work out, we end up getting the chance to acquire them for a really, really reasonable cost. Uh, We often end up cutting a lot of expenses, a lot of overhead, kind of right-sizing that business because historically, maybe it wasn't profitable or even contribution margin profitable. But on a pro forma basis, it is for us to operate it, contribution margin profitable because we can buy it at the right price because it's in a distressed situation. And then we can right-size the expense structure and we can have a really great business for us kind of reconfigured in a, a new platform uh, that wasn't possible under the kind of the prior structures, About half of our deals have looked like that kind of distressed or turnaround situation where our ph- philosophy of how we plan to operate the asset sets up that asset for a much smaller revenue, much more certain profitable future uh, nice. kind of our strategy for running. It. And again, I'm not passing judgment, like if you can swing for the fences and connect like more power to you, I encourage you to do it and I'll be really jealous when you cash a big check. But statistically speaking, you're right. Like it's just not that many of those deals end up with those outcomes. It's just kind of the math of how that industry works.
1: Yeah, I I think it's just important to know uh, what game you're playing, and I think it's important for everyone all the way through, right? Like uh, I would almost say that, like Casey and I both have an agency background, right? Ads agency, digital marketing agency. Uh, I I would say even at the agency level, uh, it would be good. It's good to at least know. Right, and maybe you work with both, but it's good to at least know where they're coming from because it's going to be like two entirely different types of, um, two two entirely different types of 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 like points of contact that you're dealing with. Uh, People who want contribution margin, people who want it profitable, don't necessarily care so much about the scale and others. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk. Uh, let's shift gears here because I have some like more questions around this idea of like. Essentially creating a little, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like DIY holding company, right? Like something that sure. can actually be done without venture capital, without going and raising um, money. What, like, I mean, do you know, I mean, I, I I actually already know the answer, right? But but you're actually, I mean, launching a program right now where you're, you're teaching people to do this what is the typical background and like what's the thing that you're you're usually saying to look for if somebody's like hey i'm looking to buy a business that i don't necessarily want to operate i want to ultimately add it to a holding company you know sure. what what are they looking for in any kind of business and then i'm going to give you a part two of the question that you can get into uh <clears throat> if it's not the first buy does it make sense to go into like completely different like would it make sense to own a coffee shop and an e-commerce store and uh you know, landscaping business, and uh, I don't know SaaS. If it was ca- assuming it's cash flow, pro- you know, like does it make sense to own a whole bunch of different kinds of businesses, or should they be somewhat related, related, or what?
2: Yeah, that's uh, a couple of good questions there. I'll take them in a couple different directions. Um, so I started in the past year uh, two businesses that are kind of more um, it's in my first real passion project. So like mm-hmm. Three Sixty Five is a passion business. Justin and I love our culture. We love our employees. We love our business model. But the businesses that we own, the actual brands we operate, um, as long as they're good ethical products that like provide a good or service, uh, I don't have to be passionate about them. Actually, it'd probably be bad if I loved one of our brands because then I would spend all my time on it instead of worrying about our team and our overall financial objectives. I'd have like my pet favorite one. Um, It's like I think they're all good, good brands, um, but they're just kind of widgets, right? We, We need to produce a product and service and meet customers where they are and create value in the world. In the last year, though, I started two new businesses, and it was the first time I've ever started something. And we um, actually partnered with some outside uh, people on both these businesses. So, one last year, I started a conference for holding companies called Hold Co Conference. Uh, we get together multi business entrepreneurs, those that want to have a career running two or more businesses. That conference is probably less than 10 or 15% technology. So, like, and you could all the SaaS people, all the econ people, all the people who, who look and smell like a, a technology or a venture capital type of entrepreneur, that was like 15%. The other 85% was like trucking, manufacturing, restaurants, uh, plumbing, HVAC, tree trimming, like just all kinds of great businesses. And so um, I certainly come at e-commerce as more one of those kind of entrepreneurs of like, would Kelsey go buy um, a nuts and bolts business offline? 100% I would. Um, I would absolutely diversify into other things. Is that advisable for somebody in your audience? I've got no idea. It's um, yeah. so kind of a question of strategy and goals and knowing yourself of what, what's a good um, career path for you as an entrepreneur. Is your secret sauce running ads? Is your secret sauce doing product development? Or are you a purebred entrepreneur that, like, for the love of the game, wants to just run businesses? And that's just kind of like a, a personal decision. For me, like, I would love the new challenge of like a plumbing or HVAC business and like learning all the challenges that are very different than like a technology first company. Um, for sure. That's me. The other kind of like passion business I started uh, recently is actually a course in acquisitions, a course in a community. So over the last um, maybe 10 years between Justin and I working as a team and my experience prior to him and I working together as a business broker, Um, take the business broker out of it and just look at us as principals, the entrepreneurs who are 50-50 business partners going out to to do um, acquisitions. I've always been kind of the visionary partner. Ideas, strategy, financing, growth, relationships, marketing. And he was kind of the operations integration guy. Hire the team, run the process, uh, hold people accountable, like run the system. And together we've bought and or sold like probably going on 20 businesses. Today we're in that that e-commerce world with eight of them. Uh, But we've learned a lot. We've made a ton of mistakes, like broken all kinds of rules, done a lot of dumb stuff, lost money. Like we've we've done every mistake there is. But thankfully we also have this like success story of like, eight brands, a good team, like there's, there's some real progress we've made and we're really, really proud of that. And so we've taken that and we've packaged it into a course in entrepreneurship around either I've never bought a business before and I want to leave my corporate job and go buy a company. Like what the heck does, what do I start? How does that work? How do I finance it? Like that's a perfect avatar for that business. And the other is like um, the entrepreneur who has a business, but has never bought one. Maybe you inherited it. Maybe you started it. Maybe you worked your way in as an employee, but like, You don't have a deal making background and you maybe you see these listings on the internet and you're kind of like maybe conversational, but you just don't know where to start. And you need like a mentor and a training process and a proven playbook. So that product is called Masters in Business Acquisitions. It's part course, part community, part mentorship. So it's very early on. I'm actually still working with all the students kind of on a one-on-one basis on their deals, but teaching the entire playbook of acquisitions and then helping people one-on-one find deals, finance deals, get deals closed.
1: So so give give us a little give us a little preview here, like what <clears throat> and I, it probably depends on what my background is and stuff like that. But let's say uh, let's I'm use you. Be, let's make it real. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's let's, 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 do let's use me and let's let's uh and, and I mean because a lot of our, our listeners are gonna be kind of similar. So I have a background working at companies and owning companies. Uh, I've owned and sold an agency. I did sell it. I, I put that in quotes because it was like not this huge thing or anything like that. I've done that a few um, times. I get it. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I sold it, but it sounds a lot cooler than it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I've owned and sold an agency. Uh, I've always bootstrapped everything, really never taken any funding. I'm like, really, I have like a $7,000 line of credit at the bank and I don't even really use it. <laughs> so like everything's always just like my own money. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that, that, and then, but also I kind of like contract and work for other companies as well yep. right, as a freelancer a contractor a consultant. Um, but yeah, let's say I come to you. I'm like, Hey, yep. yeah, I would, I'd be interested in this. You know, what it can't do for me is take up a ton of time. Um, and I'm, I'm relatively risk averse to taking on like large amounts of funding that I'm going to have to
2: pay back or whatever. So, uh, using that as the example, uh, yeah. what would you want to buy? What is your what is your goal or aspiration in that context? And if you uh, want to keep this completely personal, go ahead. Right. If you want to make this theoretical, that's fine too. But I'm going to walk through your path real quick with you.
1: Yeah. So, so theoretically, let's say I want to buy. Like, hey, I do actually, I do want to buy businesses. I'm not entirely risk averse. What I would like to buy is assets that cash flow with relatively uh, small amount of input from me you know, to operate or or to own them. Um, so sort of like, you know, the reason people get into real estate investing, mm-hmm. right, is because they can buy an uh, asset that will cash flow pretty much instantly and it will do so with not a lot of input from them, right? So that's, that's the same kind of thing I would maybe be looking for yep. in buying businesses. Long term, I would like it to be enough cash flow that it's like all of my, you know, I, I could just do that and do nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I would be fine financially, but also, you know, I could not do it because it doesn't need me. And I can do the things that I really like doing with my, you know, working time I can work sure. on my podcasts just absolutely. <laughs>
2: um, so the uh, one thing i I usually am real quick with is the idea of like this perfect passive absentee money machine business is usually more often than not, um, kind of myth versus fact. Usually okay, uh, a lot of things that sound too good to be true kind of get rich quick kind of stuff usually turns out to be what you think it is. Um, Not to discourage people from looking at buying a business, but like just super candidly, like small businesses are a lot of work. Ones that are worth buying uh, tend to need a lot of TLC to to operate them. So
1: uh,
2: I've bought businesses ranging from uh, $10,000 of purchase price up to like four and a half million of purchase price and everything in between. Uh, I will say that once you have a running business, Buying additional businesses that work with that platform is much simpler than buying the first one. So, like, getting right. your first agency off the ground and then you go buy an e commerce business as one of your clients, like, that's a super great play to run. If right. you want the um, passive income, live on the beach for a work week kind of lifestyle, it's hard to do with a business. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, um, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I, w- I would say uh, myself, myself, Mike came unplugged. A little technical difficulty here. You're good. Stand by. Yep. Um I would say myself, most of my listeners probably don't necessarily want like full passive income, okay. you know, four hour work week, live on the beach. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I think we're I think I'm talking more about like I couldn't be the long term operator or or let's say I'm gonna go buy a plumbing business or a yep. Coffee shoppers like I don't. I'm like I'm not interested in like being the operator of that business on a long term basis. I now, if it takes me one, for a few months or whatever, yeah, you know, there's a timeline. The first one you and-
2: should buy is one you can run. But the I first see. business you buy, you should be able to operate. So, if you're a digitally native person, you're listening to this podcast. Your first yeah. business should be a content website, or an FBA business, or an agency with three clients that does podcast post production, or like yeah, something that you can do. Um, businesses tend to trade in such a way where like, uh, especially when they're small if you're not going to have a $2 million loan and a big down payment and an SBA guarantee and all this kind of stuff you're buying like a, a small nuts and bolts business um, most of the cash flow goes to the people doing the work and so can you jump yeah. in and work nights and weekends for three months and build systems maybe have a VA automate some things and go fix some technology and do a little biz dev and like get the thing running and know that If worst case happened and like your team left you and you could still run it, or if you lost your job, you'd have some income and you could like scale down your team and pay yourself more. Buying a small company is probably the best move to start with for somebody that's really risk adverse. Broadly speaking though, I'm like my number one advice is shop bigger for people that really, they have the risk tolerance. They say, you know what? I am an entrepreneur. I want to run a company. I know that one day I will have, many employees and I'll be a successful business person. That that is my future to that individual. I say, pull the bandit off, go big or go home. Like do this faster. You will make more progress and probably be more successful with a bigger business than stepping stones to somebody who's risk adverse and kind of wants side income or wants to scale up, like nothing wrong with that. Like no judgment at all to that person. I would say, Make sure you can operate it. Like if you can't go to the coffee yeah. shop because you got to date your job, don't do a coffee shop. Buy a blog yeah. or an Amazon business or like something that you could do from your cell phone. That way you're gonna feel much safer with that investment.
1: Yeah, I, and that's that's kind of what I was like uh, getting at or thinking about too. Is that like I think uh, dead on. If you're risk averse, if you've never bought a business before, it is doable, right? It is you know doable to build this whole sort of DIY. Holding company, um, but you probably that's why yeah.
2: that's why I bought the first one. Like I had no idea what we were you getting do into with the first e-commerce business. I just knew between Justin and I, like we could figure it out. The, the that the thing, and you had the time hard.
1: to put in. Yeah, you had the time yeah, to put like, into it.
2: The way the economics worked, we were going to get our investment back within months. Uh, we were right. actually going to give ourselves raises based on the cash flow. Like we were comfortable signing the loan, and so if you're comfortable doing yeah. that, and you buy a business you're willing to operate, like you should be really well paid in your first year of small business ownership. Is it risky? Sure. If you fail, the bank will come for you. Like there's a guarantee on those loans. If you're willing to take that risk and you know that you hadn't put in the hustle and you understand the business and you're comfortable with it, like you can get paid handsomely to run a small company. Uh, you just gotta make sure you're able to do that work.
1: Uh, And, and I like that, right? Like if you're risk averse, make sure it's one you can run, like you can essentially hire yourself. Right. Uh, and, and, um, the other thing that is, I, I and I think probably if you're in that position, you're probably two, maybe three, maybe only one business purchase away from being the other person that you're talking about. 100%. Saying, you're going to buy bigger now, and you're going to like you know hire people to operate it right away, and you're not going to really step into my, this as much.
2: My downside is I packed the last box here and shut off the lights if it all if it all blew up. Uh, Justin, uh-huh. my high five and like the last shipment leaves is, is our downside. Our upside is we have um, tens of millions of revenue and employees and like a real like business we have built um, yeah. and it compounded through time.
1: 100%. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So uh, and then get tell me about finances. What what do you tell people to look for financially uh, in their first acquisition? And and I don't want to like kind of stereotype the the kinds of people uh, who would be interested, but yeah. I'm gonna guess it's a lot of people who are already in pretty well paying jobs but are in, and are interested in entrepreneurship but want to keep their job, right? Because they're either happy with it or for security uh, or people who are already entrepreneurs of maybe like one business. And they're like, how do I, you know, yes. leverage what I'm doing? So
2: here? If you're in a job, the real question is, do you want to buy like a side hustle stream of income or do you want to change your career? Cause that will just yeah. really impact which path you go down. I do think you can search for a business uh, nights and weekends, you know, a family. It'd be really, really tough time-wise to work a full-time job yeah. and take care of yourself and your kids. Like, that'd be hard to do. Um, it'd be a lot, of, a lot of nights and weekends. But I do think you can buy your first business while employed. I think that's very doable. Yeah. I would just be actively deciding based on your risk. Do you want to buy small and side hustle and be able to scale? Or do you want to make a jump? Do you want to make a career change and life change and jump? And both are good depending on your own circumstances and your decisions. If you own a business, I think there's a ton of strategic small acquisitions that you can do. You've probably thought about, you just might not know like the first steps to take. But like if you're in a roughing company, you should go find a siding business. If you're in an agency, yeah. you should go, go find an e-commerce business. If you're doing right. uh, paid ads, you should learn SEO. Like There are so many ways to bolt together small businesses. And if you are listening to this podcast, you definitely know the softwares, yeah. uh, how to hire, how to train, how to use VAs how to automate things to like benefit yourself when you do that. Uh, We definitely see a lot of synergies in the businesses we put together on a shared services model. And I think that entrepreneurs that have an existing business, growing through acquisition is fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, is there a certain turnaround time you're looking for, right? In terms of like <clears throat> turnaround time or terms or anything like that? What, like what are the major, and maybe you can't get into it because maybe it's too many things, but like what are the major things I need to think about? Like how much am I buying it for? The, here are the key yeah. terms of the deal and here's the turnaround time of like what it's doing now if I step into this, you know?
2: Super, super situationally dependent. What I would say the most important thing with that type of question that I really, excuse me, really, really harp on for people is just being incredibly clear about your goals and aligning what you're chasing against your goals. Like there is no right answer. Like the right answer could be none of the cash goes in my pocket, but it pays itself off in three years. And that's a big win. A Different answer could be, I'm going to hire somebody. They're going to run it for me. Like there's all these different variations that are incredibly right. specific. What I would say is just like, be really, really clear, like figure out, do you want to leave your job or do you really want that side hustle? I'm like, make that decision before you start kicking the tires and you're going back and forth and you're talking to your wife. And like, do we really want to do that. Like figure that out and then go start looking. Uh, The more clear you can be about what you're trying to accomplish, the better and more productive that experience will be.
1: Yeah. Got you. Let's talk, uh, I mean, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about maybe maybe an e-commerce focusing on e-commerce since so much of hey. our, our, our listeners are e-commerce. We've been talking about acquiring businesses for a minute. Um, what do market norms look like today? So for operators who have been looking at exits over the past few years, I think valuations are a little bit different. I think what they're optimizing for is a little bit different. Um, what do you think is, I mean, I guess outside maybe you can't speak to the venture capital world uh because i think that there's a little bit just more of a freeze there right like there's just not as many acquisitions happening there now but uh in terms of like selling a like cash flowing profitable business um what are things what is what does a norm look like in terms of valuation you know debt equity all that kind of stuff
2: for sure um a great resource for this, I have no financial affiliation here, but if you want to check out a resource, um, there's a piece of financial software from a couple guys at a company called Bainbridge, and they keep an index of all the publicly traded um, direct-to-consumer brands. So Google Bainbridge, D2C index, is pretty helpful. And you'll see it plot a chart of stock prices for the public companies. And the reason that's important is because their prices affect everything below them. And so the late stage private, private equity owned companies trade based on public comps late stage private equity companies impact how the venture capital guys raise their rounds, impacts how the brokers sell the small businesses, impacts everything down the ecosystem. So it's helpful just to kind of know directionally where we are today versus where we were in a different period of time. If you have um, an e-commerce business that's seven figures in revenue and it's got a reasonable profit margin, it's a couple years old, it's probably going to trade at regular market norm prices, three to five times EBITDA. Um, those prices are condensed. They're not as high as they were. If you had an offer two years ago for five and a half times EBITDA, it might be four today. It might just be the market price. Does that mean your business isn't worth that anymore? It just means it's not worth that today. What it sells for today at a moment in time is today's value. And it's a function of where the economy is, where interest rates are. If interest rates go down and growth starts accelerating, you could find that 4x fair value today is 5x in six or 12 months. Uh, It's probably unlikely. Uh, I think we're looking at Lower valuations, the next 12 to 24 months, maybe longer. But the non venture capital type small business e commerce businesses, two to five times cash flow with a lot of detail into why it's two or three or four or five times. Anything beyond that, you really have to be growing incredibly, incredibly fast, have a really, really compelling story and a really interesting reason to get acquired for a premium multiple. This is for the context of like most people listening to this podcast. If you've got a 28 million dollar revenue business that was 18 million last year and going to 67 million this year. That answer is not for you. You probably have an investment banker. You probably have a much better idea of what your business is worth. But that person is not getting the same advice as a D2C stock company doing three million in revenue. Right. A D 2 C stock company doing three million in revenue is going to trade for three and a half or four times earnings, some like market multiple. Um, it, it just is. Small businesses trade for three to five times. And the higher interest rates go, the harder it is to get those premium prices. You're going to need to bridge value with seller notes, and you're going to make sure you're qualified to be bought by an SBA buyer.
1: Right. Beautiful. So, um, yeah. Any I, and before we wrap up, I don't know. I want to invite Casey back in. Ask any questions he has. Um, w- yeah, Casey, you got anything? I see you're back. Come on, Casey. Don't be shy.
0: All right, I've got. We've got kind of a tradition on the show uh, for Ooh. one off. Uh, I, was I wonder
2: not we, for this.
0: that's okay. No. Hey, this is what we do. We come from uh, left field a little bit. Um, yes. Are you a sports fan by any chance?
2: I am not. I'm oh, not no. a sports fan. I don't know okay, anything. Uh, I can go get my no business mind. partner and he could probably answer the question. <laughs> but I
1: just
0: the show. Show ruined. Shows completely Everybody ruined.
1: End broadcast. Yeah. Everybody leave. Uh, no, it, it's all right, Casey. Anything else that you've uh, got? What
0: What we would probably, what I'd have you ask, uh, what I'd ask you to do is uh, do this last segment that we do on this episode called A Parting Shot, which is if somebody were not watching the rest of this episode and you had to give them the too long, didn't read version in like a minute, uh, 30 seconds, something like that, uh, what would you say to somebody who just clicked on now that they, the condensed version of what they could have learned from this whole episode?
2: Acquisition entrepreneurship is hard but rewarding. Uh, Valuations are down across the board, especially in e-commerce. So it's a great time to buy. And I would encourage anybody interested in buying to do some deep work on themselves to understand their goals, their aspirations, their risk tolerance and kind of calibrate their expectations for buying a company against those things. And if it's a good fit for you, it's a fantastic way to make a living. It's a lot of fun. And I'd recommend it to anybody that thinks they're cut out for it.
1: Beautiful. And I actually think that's, yeah, that, that was great. And, and, It's funny. I'm not, I don't mean to double down on parting shots here, but I was, I was actually just talking to somebody who about like art of AI, artificial intelligence. Right. And, uh, like what it's able to do and the way that it like gets, uh, the way that it gets kind of what it needs it would, the way that it creates its output is with input and, and, uh, like it serves what you want, right? And so I think a lot of people don't think it's ve- artificial intelligence is very good because they're just not able to give it very good inputs, right? Because they're not very self-aware of what they want. Yeah. Um, so in a world where AI did a lot of things for us, theoretically, as humans, we would just have to be much more self-aware of what we really want. And I think that's exactly what you're saying here is that it's like self-awareness is the biggest thing that you need as an entrepreneur and especially as like a multiple business holding company entrepreneur. So, um Fantastic. Kelsey, thank you for being on today. A uh, quick second here. Tell us where we can. Uh, I know you said, mentioned you have a course in community, uh, yeah. MBA Acquire. Tell us where we can go. Sign up for MBA Acquire. Learn more about it. Yep. Um, if you want to
2: learn about buying businesses, uh, mbaquire.com is a course in community on acquisitions. If you already own multiple companies, come check out Holdco Conference at holdcoconf.com. And if you just want to talk to me for any reason, find me on Twitter. My DMs are open. And I love chatting with other entrepreneurs. So reach out anytime.
1: Cool. Thank you. All right, Casey, uh, say this, restart the music, say the YouTube things and bring us out.
0: All right. Modern commerce. Thank you for watching this episode of our podcast or listening. If you're listening on Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, one of those audio only platforms. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please give us a like, uh, rate our show, uh, give us five stars. We hope uh, we've earned that from you. Uh, remember to subscribe to our channel, And don't forget to hit the bell icon on YouTube so you can catch us live on some of these pop-up shows. And you could have your comments featured live on the show. We could have our guests weigh in or uh, myself or John weigh in on any questions you might have. So as always, until next time, Modern Commerce, we'll see you.